Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 74. We're going to just, just do this thing. Sorry, we're laughing because off. Dan was trying to psych himself up to, to start, and he was bobbing his head like a weirdo, and I just... It was mainly for Brad's amusement. I don't actually try and psych myself up with anything, but, but like, I, I sometimes look at something funny. I think, I, I don't know. Well, it worked know. for me, because that's what I did, looking <laughs> at you. Then, then my performance was good. That's Congratulations, mission sir. Mission accomplished. Um, today, we're going to start with the polls. There is a Gallup poll that is out that is absolutely abysmal. If you've been following news, you've probably heard about it at this point. Um, the poll indicates that at the beginning of 2021, there was a 49% th- – this is – so the way, they, the way they look at the parties is you have the actual people who are Republicans and Democrats and registered. Um, then you have people who lean that way, who are independent but lean that direction and may or may not be mm-hmm. registered, right? Registration – Yeah, so it's just semi-use. general party affiliation, Republican or Democrat. Yes, yes. So this includes people who lean and people who are – who say they are straight mm-hmm. up. So at the beginning of 2021, you had 49% Democrats, 40% Republicans. Yeah, which is a which is a huge lead. The Democrats hadn't had a, a lead that big since uh, 2012. Yeah, and why would there be a lead that big? I don't know. January 6, Donald Trump, you know, the change of election, people not happy with COVID, mm-hmm. right? It's pretty obvious why there's a this is a this is a reaction to the things in the moment that may have turned into something long-term and substantial, may not have. By the second quarter of the year, the Republicans go up to 43%. We get a, we get a little bit of shift. By the third quarter, Democrats drop from 49 to 45%, Republicans up to 44%. And then by the fourth quarter of 2021, Republicans up to 47%, Democrats down to 42%. I know these numbers can be can be hard to, to visualize, but the significant fact here is that in the space of a year, party dominance has basically flipped. That, oh, look at that, you're screen sharing. And <laughs> everyone can see how many tabs you have open. Clearly, you're in love with this the is- CDC. I'm I'm in complete control here. I want you to know these tabs are just for my podcast section. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> so there you go. You can see the numbers up if you're looking at it on YouTube. Uh, you were, you were going to give us a better description, Brad, though, of for those of us who are joining only by audio. Yeah, I was just going to say that that the significance here is that the numbers are all in the 40s, which make them sound in- insignificant. But the significant fact here is that at the beginning of this year. Democrats had a nine-point lead over Republicans, which is a huge gap. Normally, they're much closer. And then by the end of this year, you have a huge shift where now all of a sudden, the Republicans have a five-point lead over the Democrats. It would be significant if we ended this quarter at the 45-44 numbers where they were about the same. That would be a huge comeback for the Republicans, but for it to swing all the way over like this is absolutely nuts and uh, very impressive for for the Republicans. 
it is to put it in put it in perspective. So the Republicans, generally speaking, the Republicans are down by this metric. Um, now, how far down they are isn't particularly important. What you if you've got a kind of because how well this translates into the vote, uh, the the ratio of the numbers here and how it translates into the vote varies. So when they're even, it looks like the Democrats have a slight lead. Generally speaking, you know when the when the parties are about equal. Um, at this point, with this shift to, let's see, so from nine points ahead to five points behind, a 14-point shift um, is how you might frame this. Um, it's, it's extremely high. The Republicans, I heard the Republicans haven't had this level of a lead. Since 1995. Measuring it this way. <laughs> yeah, yes. Which, uh, which is Which nuts. coincided yeah which which coincided with uh the victory of the Persian Gulf War right which is <laughs> the victory of a war is a big deal and and uh wars tend to uh bring support or at least they used to <laughs> at this point that's probably not a good general rule anymore anyway uh for a closer breakdown you can see these numbers here um the democrats uh you can see this this breaks down further by by who is actually solidly Democrat and solidly Republican versus who is leaning that way. And, and one of the most interesting things about this is if you were a Democrat and you don't like Biden, you're looking at this and you're like, Biden, not a good president, incompetent on a variety of levels, etc. The odds that you become Republican are small. That's that usually isn't what happens. Usually what happens is you become more independent or you simply stay Democrat and you're just unhappy mm -hmm, with the president, mm -hmm. right? So for there to be an actual shift of this size. Yeah, because this is, is different crazy. than just presidential approval. Because you yeah. can you can respond to a poll and say, yeah, I think the president's garbage right now, but you're still going to vote all Democrat in the midterms and you'll still vote for a Democratic president next election. But when you get a phone call and say, Yeah, I'm I'm no longer Democratic leaning, I am now Republican leaning. That's crazy. That's a significant shift. That is a significant shift. And the numbers, so Republicans picked up 3% on people who say they are Republican and 4% on people who are Republican leaning. It's a pretty big shift. Pretty big shift. Democrat leaning dropped 5% uh, and solidly Democrat dropped 2%. Um, it, it's interesting. I was looking at uh, the numbers aren't on this particular page. There's a historical trends of it. Um, but the, uh, um, it's my understanding that a significant amount of the shift is in young people. And if you're familiar with the way the age demographics are generally, the young support the Democrats, the older support the Republicans. And so for the shift to come from the young is, uh, a bad sign. Um, and it also happens to be along, in some cases, along uh, the racial lines as well. The, the coalition of race seems to be shaking. Um, it's never particularly secure, but, uh, there was this idea when, sorry about that. There was this idea when Obama was president that the coalition of race was going to be a permanent thing. And that with that coalition, in addition to the voters that they already had, um, the Democratic Party was going to be unbeatable. Obviously, that has turned out to be false. Um, but the, even the current coalitions seem to be shaking up quite a bit. This is all 
good news. <laughs> Not necessarily because I like the Republicans. Um, the Republicans are, well, <laughs> they have their problems. As you may have noticed, Brad and I often critique them as much as we're critiquing the Democrats. Obviously, right now with the Democrats in power, there's more to critique mm -hmm, there. Mm -hmm. as, once once the, the Republicans case. start doing things again, we're going to be happy to critique them. <laughs> that's right. That's right. For now, it's hard to it's hard to do with what would we be critiquing their the style of their complaints. <laughs> Maybe we should do that. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> of all of the legislators. Who is the most stylish and well-spoken? I was about to say, I... Who, who's the least annoying? <laughs> well, the least annoying is is Joe Hum you've never heard of. That's true. It's true. It's the guy who you've never, never got any attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why have the polls shifted is pretty obvious. We've talked about Biden's presidency at length, um, gone through some of the major failures. Uh, it's, it's still a shock to me that he's failed on such an epic scale. Um, but one of the most interesting things about why, why that would lead to a shift towards republicanism rather than just a shift of Biden's terrible, right? His approval ratings tanked, which we expect, but the approval rating is The approval rating is one thing. Going Republican is, is something entirely different. Yeah. And here's my, my working theory. Let's hear it. The reason that people have shifted to Republican, and is in part, of course, because they're out of office and they don't have anything to do or prove. <laughs> they, can just, they can just point out problems to the other side. <laughs> this always happens mm -hmm. when you're out of office. Mm -hmm. uh, but beyond that, government has never looked so incompetent in the U.S., Perhaps never. There's, there's probably times, you know, in, in, in individual moments. But across the board, in every sphere, government is looking incompetent. From your daily interactions with the police to how COVID is being handled, the fact that you can't get tests right now, hospital shortages being, being Provoked in part by vaccine mandates and other things, the Afghanistan withdrawal, right? Maybe, maybe if nothing else, our military is still the greatest in the world. Well, that may or may not be true, but it certainly looked really bad in our last, in our last, uh, our last looks with the military. Um, the intelligence agencies, I hear people joking about intelligence agencies now. We see, we see some criminal act. And uh, the first thought from people like Joe Rogan is, how many of them are feds? <laughs> how, many, how many of the people are feds? And it's become a good question, unfortunately. That's a bad sign. Mm -hmm. I was thinking specifically about the intelligence agencies, Brett. How, how do you go from where we are now to having people hear from the CIA that there's an international threat? And they believe and taking it seriously at all, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're and you're not like prove it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're like, okay, this the CIA says we're, there's some kind of trust given to the intelligence agencies. I we're alone. no, I mean, we think of the CIA right now like uh, Soviet Russians thought of the KGB. Yeah, yeah, that it's that it's actively a threat. Yeah, yeah, to that you. it's not. It's not an organization that protects you, but it's an organization that often works against you. 
Yeah, that's a good, that's a good comparison, unfortunately. Yeah, that's, and that's the state of it, right? Which, which part of the government is operating competently? None of the ones that are getting attention. And the CDC is, is perhaps the most in the news right now, uh, because it is walking back all kinds mm-hmm, of things mm-hmm. right? and, and it's accepting things that, that its naysayers have been saying for over a year and some of them much longer. Yeah. And then the actual, the actual federal government that we think of beyond the agencies, Congress and the president, you know, you've got, you've got a democratic president, a Democrat president and weak Democrat control of Congress that has resulted in very, very little. <laughs> Very little. I'm trying to think. They've passed a few uh, helping bills that were somewhat bipartisan um, initially. Was there one, two? Yeah, and then and then they one. got the infrastructure bill. And then the infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, to be fair, is not as controversial as the Republicans made it out to be. No, uh, it's not. And not, not that I'm in favor of it, it, but it's not, it's not as <laughs> yeah, controversial yeah. as they made it out to be. Really yes, isn't. yes, as far as the general divide between Republicans and, and uh, Democrats. But it's, it's it the had. kind of bill that mm-hmm. you could see a, a Republican president pushing for. You know what I yeah. mean? And that wouldn't be insane. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So here's the good news if you're listening to this. I'm listening. What's the good news, Dan? <laughs> I didn't know we had good the news vast to majority- here. <laughs> the vast majority of... Business and interactions in the United States are governed by federal agencies. And the ones that aren't are governed by state agencies. And there's no escape from these people. <laughs> that's, Might that's I interest news. you in a dictionary? <laughs> sir, sir, are you okay? I'm, I'm doing just fine today. I, I'm personally recovering from COVID. It was spectacular. Um, (laughs) And while my mental faculties are still subpar, my sense of humor is... Your sarcasm is through the roof. (laughs) My sarcasm is... Yeah. I've been dosing up on 20 milliliters of sarcasm every four hours for... You know, I heard a Joe Rogan episode about how effective sarcasm is at defeating COVID, so... That makes sense. The CDC won't tell you that, though. <laughs> They've covered it up. No, they, they won't. <clears throat> yeah, which is why my voice is weird. You can probably hear it to some degree. I'm congested. Um, yeah, so here we are, right? This is, this is the United States. It's run by organizations exactly like the ones that, that in the moment of trial have revealed themselves to be utterly incompetent. And it's run, run at this, run by these agencies at every level in ways that you can't imagine. You know, things that are so far below the surface of what's discussed that it's in, that it's entirely invisible. You know, at the level of how the stock exchange interactions work to a large degree, right? And, and how, how things are priced in, even in, in what appears to be market interactions mm-hmm. is determined in large part by a gathering of bankers that is nearly invisible. Um, that are all part of the the FCC and the the massive bureaucracy there and other, and other things like that, right? This is no, this I mean is, like like the the Federal Reserve and 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 interest rates that directly and 
affect inflation. You know what I mean? Yes, in some ways, the the Federal Reserve has become the most uh, the most visible of these. Even though we don't visible in the sense that it gets public attention, we don't actually know what they're doing because it's all uh, it's all secret. If you knew, then uh, then it would ruin the effect. Apparently, yeah. My <laughs> if you if you knew who was getting the bailouts and who was getting free money, that would that would ruin the whole illusion that that this was a a wonderful thing happening. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, sarcasm. No, my point was just that monetary policy in the United States is almost entirely decided, you know, by administration, not by legislation, Mm -hmm. not even by executive authority. You know what I mean? It's by this something else. Yes, which which drives home again a point we've made several times that the legislature is the governing body in the United States. It's the active body. It's the was. It's supposed to be. On paper, the legislature is supposed to be doing things, and other bodies react to what it does and enforce what it does. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point in time, that's not what happens at all. That's not what happens at all. In fact, the, the legislature does virtually nothing, and yet massive amounts of regulations and laws continue to move through. Now, that massive problem we've put it in the context before of the the four branches of government and how they work and concluded that uh that the way f- the most likely way forward or <laughs> the only the only group that is acting in any with any degree of efficacy in this sphere is the supreme court and the supreme court has decided two important cases recently and somewhere between the two is the closest we're going to get to a signal of what to expect in the future on this issue. Right now, there's, there's a fundamental constitutional question about whether the legislature can give authority to administrative agencies. And if it can, how much and how open-ended can it be? How specific does it have to be for the legislature to, uh, for the the statutes that govern a group like OSHA, which is one of the cases we're going to talk about, um, how specific does this does the legislature have to be with what they can do and what they authorize before they've crossed a line and they've made OSHA a legislative body? Mm-hmm. The basic the basic idea is the legislature can do legislative things but it cannot make someone else the legislature, right? Your elected official cannot say, having been duly elected, I now pass my authority to Brad. Brad is now your legislature for all, your legislator for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. That would be illegal. Mm -hmm. The legislature is the body in which these powers are invested. To get into the legislature, you have to go through certain things. The very concept that we are some kind of democracy depends on the fact that the legislature has the power, exercises the power, and nobody else exercises that same legislative power. Yeah, I mean, I mean the these agencies that we do have, <coughs> when they were created, it was explicit in their creation that they are instruments of implementation. That you've got a congressional body made up of these representatives who can't 
ensure that the laws are carried out the way they want them to be by themselves. And so just like you have congressional aides who help them get legislation through, you're creating, you know, not legal aids, because that sounds like they're going to work for lawyers, but 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 aids but essentially yeah. in the form yeah. of org- of organizations that are going to implement the intent and the the explicit wording of whatever the law is, and that was the purpose of the agencies. You know, Congress says we want to ensure that food is treated a certain way in the United States before it gets to the consumer, so we can't just pass a law that says food needs to be good, we need more than that. It needs to be more nuanced and respond to certain things in certain ways. And so we're going to create an agency that has certain limits on it and restrictions on it about what it can do because its only purpose and its only legitimacy comes in fulfilling our law. And that's and then you get the USDA and they go and they and they regulate on behalf of Congress, which you'll see immediately starts to come up against that line. You know, even when it's first created, these agencies push up against that line. It's something we've talked about before, about how these agencies really are this legislative-executive hybrid that that reaching where we are today, where they are out of control, seems almost inevitable. That you hand them this small amount of power and it's inevitable that they're going to try and grow it as they attempt to execute not just the explicit law, but also the intent behind the law. And the easiest way to execute the intent behind the law is to start adding to the law themselves, which is when they become, you know, as you said, a legislature of themselves, which is something that the Supreme Court can and has checked in the past. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, There was a there's an early case on this. I don't have the Supreme Court cases up in front of me, the the extended ones in this sphere. Um, we've discussed them before, though, and I probably I probably mentioned this one by name at some point. But they they were they created a, a I don't remember if it was commissioner or an agency, but the, the stated mission was to uh, set prices um, and tariffs and things so that in international in international commerce the 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 American industries were able to compete with the foreign industries, right? Mm-hmm. And so they, they had a specific goal. They had a specific means in which they were authorized and a range, uh, through which they could then set the price, right? So this thing, this thing, uh, the reason that you would want an agency to do this instead of the legislature is the agency can act regularly on it and pay attention to it and the legislature can then spend its time elsewhere, right? Having, having established the mission, the goal and the parameters, some parameters around it. They then allow this agency to act within that range. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one possibility of how these agencies can look. Others can be like OSHA, where their stated goal is to protect workers, and they're able to do essentially <laughs> the the depending on who you ask, they're either granted a specific range of things that they can do to do that, or they're given all power to achieve that end. Um, and that's that's what how, kind of how the lines on which this case is. Decided. Well, and, and I'd say for the record that that in terms of of explicit authorization, they aren't granted all power because when you look at this OSHA case, you know, which is the National yeah. Federation of Independent Businesses versus the Department of Labor, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which I'm still not sure how it spells out, uh, O C E A, but uh, 
it's fine. Um, <laughs> Shots fired. We can't mention OSHA without pointing out that Brad initially spelled it wrong. Oh yeah, is that how is that is that how it happened? You didn't <laughs> make it how it happened. He's, he's still convinced that it's O C E A. Anyways, that's all right. I'm here for you. You bro. know, I appreciate that. I appreciate that support for all of you new listeners out there. Dan's Dan's full of full of crap. Um, it's important to know. I was about to say you've derailed me, but actually it was me, so that's unfortunate. <laughs> oh, what I was going to say is that <laughs> is that it's clear from both the from from both the dissent and the uh, the majority opinion that they understand that there are clear limitations on OSHA. They just disagree on what those limitations mean because OSHA, when they when they enacted this this mandate. They were very clear, well, at least clear as they could be about where they were getting their power from. You know, they said, okay, here we have this power to do an emergency ruling that only lasts six months when certain criteria are met. It has to be like in this, I can't remember the exact wording, but this imminent threat to, to workers and and a couple other things that it had to, to, to qualify in order to work. And... And so here, I think everyone's in agreement that these agencies can't do anything they want. Yes, yes. But what what really gets into the discussion here is is how you interpret the law. And this is something we'll find time and time again with the Supreme Court, is they have so much leeway in how they look at the law. Because you would think, if we're just reading the law, that nine people who are well-educated on how the law works should agree spent their entire lives yeah, should agree <laughs> yes they either have this authority or they don't and the reason they don't agree is because of how you choose to interpret things and how you choose to interpret things is based off of what you want and with this with this opinion you can see that clearly that the dissent so those who believe that the vaccine mandate should have stayed one of their primary reasons, and they make it very clear in their first paragraph, is that they are concerned about COVID, that COVID is dangerous, and therefore OSHA should have more power. That yes, in the minutia of the law, it could go either way, depending on how you looked at it, which means it should go the way we need, because that's the good thing to have happen. Versus versus the other side, which says it doesn't matter what's good. It matters what the law is, what the law actually provides for for OSHA to do. Yeah, in the way that uh, the way that the conservatives who struck down the OSHA mandate would reply to that um, is to say that if there is something um, that how specifically it needs to be mentioned, you know, how clearly it needs to be spelled out, what they can do depends in part on the size of the of what they're trying to do mm -hmm. um so they, they they cite another case and they and this is a precedent in the court that if 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 there is a broad portion of a regulatory scheme you know it's something sizable fundamental to the to the project you know large scale affects a lot of people these kind of things must be clearly mentioned because vague wordings that may or may not authorize them shouldn't be sufficient to authorize uh, you know, if if you're intending to allow them to do major things, it seems probable that you would explain that, right? If, yeah, if basically what it comes down to is they're 
there are large statements and paragraphs and, and words upon words mm -hmm. in these authorizations that Congress has enacted for these for these agencies. And very often they say things like this and this and other things as needed. And if you interpreted yes, yeah. it loosely, it would mean that these agencies could do anything that Anything they wanted to do to fulfill and so mission. what they're saying is no there has to be more than that we can't interpret it that way we have to say okay what was the clear directive that was explicitly stated by congress for this agency to do and if they aren't doing that then they don't have authorization for it no matter what the minutia of the wording might indicate is that what you're saying dan that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and they they talk about that at length in in both of these cases because it's a because that's that's key to interpreting whether or not the uh, regulatory agency is acting constitutional. Mm -hmm. Um if you if like you said if you if you allow the vague statement like that to say so OSHA can do something that it has never done mm -hmm. and require people to be vaccinated. Not just, yeah, not just something the that working it has never done, something external. And there seems mm -hmm. no clear indication that when it was created that it was intended for anything close to that. Yes, yes, yes. So in, in some ways you have here the, the classic constitutional debate between a loose reading and a tight reading of the Constitution. Except this is not the, the Constitution. Right, right. That's true. Of constitutional law in general. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, do you want to say, is the goal flexibility so that you can address emergencies? Or is the goal a strict reading so you can limit abuse, right? And, and there is a trade-off here. There is a trade-off here um, that I think I, I'm strongly on the side of a, of a restricted reading, in part because of the incompetence of the agencies that I mentioned above. And <laughs> if it is so reasonable and so good for health, then, then make the persuasive case. And primarily, though, because it undercuts the entire system, because – Yes. As as I said earlier, the purpose here is you've got Congress who creates the law, and then you've got agencies that are put in place to help Congress and the executive branch enact and execute these laws. Yes. In other words, they're they're agencies that work for, you know, these heads of government, whether it's Congress or or the president, which means that they should be subservient to Congress. And what's interesting here is in this case, you have, you have OSHA creating a mandate that was clearly designed as a workaround because they did not have congressional approval for any kind of national mandate. In other words, yes. the organization who, who created OSHA doesn't want OSHA to do this. And yet OSHA feels like it's their prerogative as an independent actor to enact it anyways. Even when I think the Senate passed a, a resolution, I, I can't remember the exact wording, but, but in, in direct opposition to this mandate. In other words, it completely flies in the face of the argument that OSHA is simply working for the federal government, because now it's clearly saying, no, OSHA is its own thing that can think for itself yeah. and not just execute the will, not just execute the explicit intent of the legislation, which would mean following the strict law, and not just enact the will of Congress, because clearly it's against their will, but rather to just do their own thing based off of what they think is correct. And by they, I mean the agency itself. And that's yes. a terrible 
terrible precedent because it means that you have hundreds upon hundreds of separate governments who all have can potentially have independence and very little oversight. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's even if and I I was really pleased to see uh, a variety of of very liberal pundits. Of, and by a variety I mean one. <laughs> I mean exactly one. <laughs> this is this is like classic news stuff. Some people say and by some I we mean, mean Joe. that guy that I agree with and that I, and that I was just chatting with in the hall. <laughs> uh, it's a uh, cigar, cigar from a, I don't know why names are impossible for us. It's not that hard. I hear his name regularly. Anyway, breaking points, dude. Uh, he and, uh, uh, <laughs> why, why did you and put what's yourself her face? in this position? <laughs> you should have just kept going. Bring up the second person whose name I can't remember. <laughs> Oh gosh, we'll blame we'll blame being. Can I, how long have I been sick? <laughs> as soon as We're gonna take a break here while him, we just corpse and drop microphones. And, and then <laughs> they Sorry. split though, which was interesting. The two of them, they're they're uh, they're more Bernie Sanders socialism style um, thinkers, but but uh, I know his last name's in Jetty. Uh, he uh, he specifically said we don't want. Uh, we don't want the administrative agencies making choices beyond the scope of what Congress gave them power to, even when it's favorable to us, because it's anti-democracy, mm-hmm. right? If, if, if what you believe is that government ought to rule based on some form of consent, hence the need for a democratic form of some kind, mm-hmm. then an administrative agency deciding something contrary to the wishes of the not only the group who made it but the congress here there now that could pass this if they wanted to, mm-hmm. right? that has been been debating have debated it struck down and i think as you said maybe even passed a resolution saying they didn't want a mandate um then who are we ruled by yeah. what what form of government do we have if the important decisions are made independent by OSHA? of body that represents independent us. and even contrary mm-hmm. to the will of the body that represents mm-hmm. us right this is there's something fundamentally off about that and you may say well for the sake of such and such emergency we we allow it right we justify these things on the basis of this is so important don't make that trade don't make that trade if you justify it once it justifies all the other agencies mm-hmm. it justifies the abuses that 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 are perpetual from these agencies. Yeah, and if the argument is that it's time-sensitive, you know, President yeah. Biden announced that OSHA was going to pass this ruling, and then weeks went by before OSHA announced something. Weeks. Which, as we've seen with Congress in times of crisis, they can actually pass things. If they agree, they can pass things quite quickly. The problem is they often yeah. don't agree because the people themselves don't agree. We, as the United right. States, don't agree on how to respond to COVID. And that's okay. Yes. But what it means is we can't have broad, sweeping national mandates because of that. Because of, the, because yeah. of our democratic process. If you want those things... Right. And you're willing to give up a democratic process that means something else entirely. But anyways, but he he asked OSHA to come up with this, took them weeks, 
And then once they they rolled it out, it had at least a couple of months before anything happened. You know what I mean? They had a significant delay on something that was supposed to be a right here and right now crisis. You know what I mean? And yet they took months and months to get it going, which is which is telling because you know in that time Congress could have passed its own thing. Right. And and you'll note that if you're if you've been following Omicron and some of the other podcasts we've done, obviously a mandate won't make a difference in the face of Omicron. Oh, yeah, so, it's not so going to do So it's entirely irrelevant. Um in in many ways it will make a difference. But but on in terms of what it's supposed to do, it doesn't work with Omicron. Um, but that's but that's even besides the point, right? What we're talking about is the constitutional issues. Yeah, even here. if it was the most effective thing you could do for COVID, even if passing this one law, not passing this one law, if if staying this decision and allowing this mandate to proceed could have cured COVID on the spot wouldn't have changed the legal arguments. Yes. Yes. Um, it, it's interesting. Um, we are, we are w- one different presidential election away from having this decision go through, right? From having OSHA authorized in making this vaccine mandate, right? If, if instead of Trump, it had been Hillary Clinton and she had appointed three, you know, three, uh, justices, this decision goes completely differently. Mm-hmm. That six, three, it was a 6-3 decision on the OSHA mandate, and it would go the other way. Um, we mentioned that there's a second case. The second case was the vaccine mandate for hospitals. Hospitals receiving funding uh, with regards to Medicaid and Medicare. Which is which most hospitals. You've got to be trying really hard not, not to fit under that umbrella. No, I mean, I we've talked about that before one. when we talked <laughs> yeah. about the Oklahoma Surgery Center and how hard it yes, was, was for them say, they might be to... The- to not take any federal funding and cut themselves off from that whole pipeline, which has clearly uh, panned out well for them looking at uh, the strings <laughs> yeah. that come attached to that money. Their uh, their applications just went through the roof. <laughs> um, here's what's interesting about that. So that decision was 5-4. The decision to allow hospital to do it with hospitals was 5-4. So we got 6-3 to prevent a broad... Every employment you know, above a certain number, 6-3. Hospitals exclusively, 5-4. The other way. The other way. That's important. Right. Yeah, because the, 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 the mandate was struck down for the employees, Thank you. but the mandate for the hospitals was held in place. Was held, right. Thank you. I wasn't making that clear. Um, within these two cases, we have a really interesting touchstone for where all of the justices fit into a debate, because there's actually not two positions on the 6-3 OSHA mandate. There are three positions on the 6-3 OSHA mandate. There's the position that says um, OSHA has been authorized to do this, and they can do this, and they did this, and it should be upheld. Right? This is the three liberal justices. The dissent. The dissenters. Of the six, there are actually two factions. There are three of them who said in an, in an unsigned, it's interesting, the majority opinion of this is unsigned, which means we don't know who would have signed it. It's possible that the majority opinion, the procurium opinion, the one that's written by, uh, it's not even stated who wrote it, but presumably uh, Roberts, who's in charge, who decides 
who gets to write these things. Um, he either wrote it or decided to. And, uh, he, uh, he has a major hand in orchestrating how this all looks and how unified the court looks and doesn't look. There's a whole, there's a whole game here behind the scenes. Um, and Roberts is weird on this, really weird. His, his positions are inconsistent at best, and he is, he makes decisions for strange reasons. <laughs> Going all the way back to Obamacare is, is most famously where he, he was the deciding vote that allowed that to go through. But anyway, uh, this isn't going to be a, a, a lecture on, on Roberts and how odd he is. But the point is that Roberts and Kavanaugh and, uh, her name, Barrett. I got it. I got one. <laughs> and Barrett are, uh, are all, uh, did not sign on the concurring opinion that Thomas Gorsuch and Alito signed. Which is significant. Why? Which is significant because they don't share that opinion. So, so tell us about <laughs> <Obviously>. that opinion. <laughs> so here's where they split. Here's where they split and where their views split. They agree that OSHA has significant broad authority from Congress, but that in this particular case, the statutes were not specific enough to include this vaccination, this broad vaccination scheme. They make a variety of distinctions between things like this is not an occupational hazard. This is a public health hazard, right? This is, this is of a different kind than specifically what OSHA is allowed to address. Um, you could imagine that if the Nazis were bombing America and OSHA existed at the time, <laughs> that under the guise of workplace safety, OSHA could make military rules, right? <laughs> right? And we'd go, that's not workplace safety. Mm -hmm. That's something else, even though obviously it affects safety at work, right? And that's basically the, uh, the argument they're making here. The majority, they're like, this is, this is not the same kind of thing. You're making public health policy. And, uh, and they have, they, they make a couple other arguments and, and look at some of the statutes, you know, some of the specific vague lines that we mentioned. Um, the other group is asking a fundamental, a more fundamental question. The other three, yeah. Thomas, Gorsuch, Alito. Their position is, is, do we, at what point has Congress given a legislative, uh, an executive agency legislative power. And where is the line? And how do we stop being ruled by administrative agencies? In other they're words, they're looking at something much They're bigger. asking the broad questions that we keep asking in this podcast. You know, that, that what has happened here with these, these agencies and how are these agencies honoring what they were supposed to be? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, exactly. Instead of, instead of saying in this particular case is the vague wording enough under this broad purpose, they're asking, shouldn't the legislature be making important decisions? Period. Right. Isn't that their job? And that's a, that's a much broader critique, mm -hmm. right? That's a, they're a faction who are seriously, who are at least, and maybe they're, maybe 
three of the, some of the other conservatives are open to, to some movement here. But at least in this opinion, we have three who have specifically said, we're seriously wondering whether legis, legis, uh, whether executive agencies are fundamentally off, right? The, the, that we have, it, it, I get the sense that if they had been able to make the majority opinion, this would have overturned vast amounts of agency power, right? It would have been a, it wouldn't have been a decision about this case. It would have been a decision about legislative, about, uh, 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 executive agencies categorically. Mm-hmm. Right? It would have had massive impact. And I want to get to that point so bad. <laughs> like there are, you know, it's, you know, it's fun. I, I wrote this down earlier. How many federal agencies exist? It's the title of a, of a fun article. Um, well, before, fun before you get to that, Dan, I just want to clarify that, then I'll... that you also see that same distinction when you look at the other case with the hospitals, that you, that's yes. the, that, that switch, the reason they switch is because of that. Is because yes. the the dissenting group there is now is that same three plus Barrett, and mm-hmm. um and they're the group saying, yes, even though there is more minutia in the law for this hospital mandate, it still is a general violation of the principle that Congress should be doing this, not these government agencies. Yes. And yes, so, thank you. so the, thank the you. difference between the reason yeah. these two cases were decided differently is because although there's a majority agreement that <laughs> OSHA does not have this specific power, there is not a majority agreement that these agencies in general should only have the explicit power given them by Congress. And that's what we'd like to see is if, is if that number was five instead of four in the, in the uh, hospital case, it wouldn't just change the hospital case. It would also change how the Supreme Court is looking right. at agencies in general, which would be amazing. That's what we want to see. We want to see that shift. That Even though this is good that we got one of the two, in terms of what we personally believe about the mandates, what we're looking yes, for and here and, and what we're seeing at Trent Torn and potentially could happen, but it depends on what happens in the next presidential elections and blah, blah, blah is a shift away from the ever-growing bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah, the, the bureaucracy is – it's anti-democratic, right? It, 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 it's fundamentally at odds with the idea that your decision should affect government. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's something that um, – yeah, yeah. It's – I'm so glad you pointed out to that other case because because there are at least three and Barrett is four on that other case. Um, so somewhere in there, there is something she agrees with uh, with them and and perhaps they could get a fifth in the right case. Mm-hmm. But if not, then then we're we're at least we're probably one Supreme Court justice away from being able to significantly shift the administrative state. And what's I, now we just need I wish Biden to to appoint a Supreme Court justice that will strike down the only power he has left, which is through the agencies. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's not likely. Breyer's Breyer's getting old, um, but uh, he has made no people who've tried to get him to retire. Breyer is one of the 
one of the liberal justices on the court. He's 84, I think we decided. Um, and, uh, but he's fairly healthy. And so he, uh, he's made no signs that he's going to step down, despite the fact that, that there were, there was for a time when Biden first got elected news articles seemingly every month that are like, Hey dude, retire, <laughs> like retire before we lose the Senate and we can't uh, replace you with someone we agree with. By the way, I want to clarify one more thing real quick, which is that although we very often disagree with conservatives, there are a whole slews of issues like uh, drug laws and um, uh, immigration, immigration. Uh, free trade that we disagree strongly with conservatives. We tend to agree, not completely, but a lot more with conservative Supreme Court justices. And that's because the conservative versus liberal line with justices has more to do with interpretation than specific policy. Conservative justices right. tend to follow a more strict construction of the Constitution, which limits federal power, while liberals, liberal justices tend to say, if it's good then it's okay to expand federal power. And that's why, although we disagree with conservatives on many issues, when it comes to justices, we far prefer with strict yes, constructionists, which that's tend true. to be conservative. Not always, as we're seeing with these cases here where you have conservative justices. Roberts and Kavanaugh. Roberts and Kavanaugh, <laughs> who are clearly not being strict constructionalists. And I, and I don't know why. I don't, but... Here we are. But that, that's just want to clarify what we're looking for and, and why we keep talking favorably about conservative justices, not because of the conservative viewpoints, but because of how they're viewing the Constitution. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Kavanaugh is a really interesting Supreme Court justice pick from Trump. He's terrible. <laughs> he really is. Like, if you take away the Me Too stuff, and he might get shot down by conservatives. But because of the Me Too stuff, every conservative voted for him. Even though there were lots of there were there were red flags. <laughs> there were a lot there were a lot of red flags. Anyway, he's a he's a very he see and he seems like he's going to be you know, like Roberts. He's gonna be very moderate, he's gonna be very wishy-washy on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um that's just the way it is, unfortunately. Roberts is uh once Roberts is out of <laughs> once he's out of control, it's a really bad way to phrase once he's gone. <laughs> once he's gone, the courts can be a very different place. Um, he has, he maneuvers it in very strange ways and, and uses his authority to avoid controversy and to avoid the kind of big changes from the Supreme Court that would be a return to a strict reading. Mm -hmm. He deliberately tries to, uh, tries to avoid that. He claims he does it in the name of in the name of not wanting to prevent the will of the people. <laughs> but, but the will of the people here is it's not really entirely up to issue, his interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was going to read some fun numbers on how, how many federal agencies exist. So uh, there, and the how many federal agencies exist depends on who you ask. There's not one answer to that question. Yes, um, there's not one. Um, so the, there was a conference, administrative conference of the United States, which listed 115 agencies in an appendix. An appendix was titled Sourcebook of United which States Executive Agencies. Which is a ton, by the way. 115. Right. And, and actually, the actual number of agencies isn't that important. 
because you could have one that's so powerful mm-hmm. that it ruins. Yeah, everything. I mean, we've got a handful of agencies that have so that much like power. That. Yes, that it's insane. Yeah, OSHA is is extremely powerful, but a more like the FDA like the itself FDA. is huge. Mm-hmm. Right, the FDA and the uh, what's the energy one? Maybe I'm thinking FDA. Anyway, there's or the Securities Exchange Commission. That one's huge. Yeah, that has incredible <laughs> impact. There are, and you dig into what they do, and the 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 bil- their ability to basically legislate laws, yeah, uh, judge the laws. But yeah, if there were just five of these big agencies, I'd it'd, it'd be too it'd, many. It'd be too much power. Yes, yes, I agree. Any one of them is sufficient to justify a curtailing of 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 them in general. Um, but here's a, here are other places where you can try and find how many agencies there are. There's a unified agenda that lists sixty one. There's a FOIA.gov which is part of the Department of Justice, lists 252. The 2016 Federal Register Index lists 272. Regulations.gov has 292. The United States Government Manual has 316. The Federal Registrar Register Agency list has 440. <laughs> US.gov tally puts it at 443. Um, and, I, you know, you could argue about what constitutes an agency and a sub-agency mm-hmm. versus an, a, a fundamentally different thing, um, and so on. So it's, 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 it is largely arbitrary. But the fact that we don't know how many is a bad sign. <laughs> the fact that you can't, can't even list them, right? And there, there's a, there's a funny interview. Yeah, even if it were just 61, could you list it. 60 of them? <laughs> no, no, but I'd spell them really well. <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is the stance. Uh, let me read one quick statement from the the three Gorsuch, uh, Thomas, and Alito who were who want a more fundamental change. This is a this is from the OSHA mandate. They wrote a concurring opinion. Right, a concurring opinion meaning they agree with the holding, which is to uh, to stop the mandate, um, but that they disagree or may disagree or have additional reasons, um, depending on if they sign the majority opinion. You can you can sign more than one opinion, mm-hmm. um, but we don't know who signed the main opinion because it was unsigned for political reasons. They they hid that. Yeah, we don't even know who wrote it. The question before us is not how to respond to the pandemic, but who holds the power to do so. The answer is clear. Under the laws that stands today, that power rests with the states and Congress, not OSHA. In saying this much, we do not impugn the intentions behind the agency's mandate. Instead, we only discharge our duty to enforce the law's demands when it comes to the question, who may govern the lives of 84 million Americans? Respecting those demands may be trying in times of stress, but if this court were to abide them only in more tranquil conditions, declarations of emergencies would never end and the liberties our Constitution's separation of power seeks to preserve would amount to little. Close quote. It's, it's true. There's, there's always some claim of emergency. If you do not, if you're going to bend the rules in an emergency, the rules don't matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really like that line. Who gets to govern 84 million Americans? Can OSHA do that? Or is that supposed to be Congress's job? And it's a fundamental question about, about what, what can be... <laughs> how much of that power can be delegated. Um, we've talked about at other points that there's, there's such a mess here with the agencies. The, the legislature used to be able to hold them accountable. 
like we created you and here's how it's going to work. You're going to report back to us and we're going to, we're going to be able to follow up and make sure you're doing what you're doing. They struck that down. That was, that was struck down in earlier court cases to the point where, where now Congress makes them and then they're completely independent of Congress in bizarre ways. Mm -hmm. That doesn't even make sense. Mm -hmm. They're exercising legislative authority, but as executive bodies and it's a, it is its, its own fourth branch of government. And it is in many ways the most powerful branch. Any, any closing remarks? No, I, I think that paragraph up? was a great closing remark that, that it comes down to, to who holds the power. And right now the agencies hold that power and, and, and that needs to change if we want to have, if we want to have good government. I think that, that it starts with these agencies being benevolent dictators and then it can turn into something else quite easily. <laughs> and that's something that we yeah. definitely don't want. Congress can make these decisions. They don't have to because of the agencies. And so they don't, mm -hmm. it's not a, it's not a, they can't. So the agencies do. It's a Congress is taking, excuse me, is taking full advantage yeah, of the Congress agencies. is doing what Roberts is doing is avoiding the difficult issues because they can. Because they can. Yeah. They can let, they can let the Supreme court and the, the agencies work it out with that. Thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.